come. I want to thank, in particular, everybody who has worked behind the scenes um, to make this happen. You know, half of the, the people that work behind the scenes, they're actually not even in this room. They're still out there doing the food things, kids' ministry still running. And so I'm actually really grateful that um, our church bandied together to kind of develop a, a, a new concept for us, which was to try to, within, you know, within the resources that God has given us, um, try to help one another. Um, I said this a few times, but I'll repeat it again. Um, we've had a whole bunch of new people come join our church, and um, we were trying to really figure out what is the best way to get people who maybe are new to the church, or maybe you've grown up in our church, but you're going into a new life stage. You know, you're having babies, or um, your children are growing up. How, how could we best help you uh, with, with connecting relationally to people within the church? Because we're only really interested in being a relational church. And so we, relationship was, is the, was the way that we thought this is the best way we can help you in life. If we give you information, let's say, and the, you know, the workshops have been recorded and stuff like that. The information in the workshops, that's fantastic. But I reckon if you've attended eight workshops this weekend <laughs> and I was to test you next year, you maybe can only remember one or two. But I'm hoping that actually over this weekend, you were able to go, oh, you know what? If I need some help, these are some people that I can go to for help. Oh, man, I know, I know Tony and Sam and their session or, or my mom and, uh, ran something or I can ask Uncle Min Leong something or, right? Or maybe you have sat down at dinner and you have chatted and you've spoken to somebody that you haven't really gotten to know that well. And that was the whole idea of this conference, for us to spend a little bit of time just as a household of faith to build one another up. Um, that was our intention even with the kids who are in the kids program and they're playing with their friends over the school holidays. Um, and so I, I just want to say a really big thank you to all the the helpers and the, the, the behind-the-scenes team that have made this uh, come off. Um, pretty shortly, we'll be sending everybody an email, I imagine, um, asking you for areas of improvement or room for improvement, right, um, uh, for the conference. Because we, we, we kind of hacked this conference together. We came up with the idea of it. It's brand new for us. And so I can only imagine that there is like a hundred things that we could do different next time and, and improve on. So we would love to hear your feedback on it. If you don't get an email from us, just write to any of our staff team and just like, hey, I, I thought the conference was great, but can maybe next time do this, 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 that, that. It's fine. We're, we actually appreciate um, feedback. Okay. Let me pray, and uh, hopefully tonight will be a short sermon, and then we can get to food. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness, the richness of your word, Lord. And as we even kick off this new series, um, Faith in the Real World, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us take biblical characters who are real and learn from them and to apply what they've done in our life um, in our real faith. We commit tonight's sermon into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Did you know that your faith 
was not intended to be ineffective in this world that we live in. That was not the goal of our faith. You know, sometimes we, we feel like our faith is just something that we, um, we use to just get ourselves and our family by. We're just like, oh, hey, you know, you know uh, uh, let's go to church. Um, you know, I could really use some recharge. Can you really use some encouragement? So then I just like, okay, let's go to church. Let's worship God together. Let's, let's hang with the body of Christ. But actually, the, the faith that God has given us, our, our, our Christian faith, is not just intended to just be for our personal happiness. It's not even supposed to be for um, the afterlife and, and, and just protecting heavens, a spot in heaven for us, or whatever it is. Our faith is actually intended to be really powerful in making a difference in our real world today. I mean, I look at um, Uncle Roland's life. You know, uh, I grew up with Uncle Roland, or I guess he grew up, I grew up with him, I guess. You know, he brought me to the Lord, and I've seen him as just from um, regular uncle to then going full-time in ministry, to then pastoring in a church in KL, to then doing ministry here, and then having global ministry around, right? And I know... Like he's, so he's my example, and not everybody can be like a, you know, a founding pastor, an epic pastor, right? But uh, to me, Uncle Roland's like one example of, hey, you can, you can actually make a difference with your faith. You can actually make a difference in the world that uh, we live in. We're starting this new series, having finished 15 words that summarize the New Testament, right? The 15 sort of top themes of the New Testament. And now we're going to go into this new series, which is looking at our faith in the real world. And we're taking some time to look at real people in the New Testament. So this is not like parables or, or visions, letters. It's not even like the poems of the Bible. These are real people in the Bible that have been corroborated by history. They actually made a difference in our real world history and in the journey of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, all the way to Melbourne. They were part of it. Uh, Today we're actually covering a couple that's one of my favorites actually. So I get first pick in all the topics. Quinton's going next week, so he gets like second pick, right? And so I'm like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll begin and I'll, I'll pick my favorite. Um, uh, with, um, oh man, I spelled Aquila wrong. So favorite that I spelt it wrong. My goodness. Never do slides. I did the slides in between two workshops today. <laughs> okay, they're so favorite that I spelled their name wrong. It's okay, that's the Greek spelling of their, of their name. Um, we're looking at a couple that could actually be any of us. They're an ordinary couple that did what I feel like are very ordinary things, Aquila and Priscilla, right? Um, it turns out that great things can actually be done when ordinary people move together in unity. And when they move uh, along with the flow of what God is doing. You know, the, the, the gospel did not spread all around the world and get all the way to Australia because of the work of, like, one person. 
unless it's like your name is God, who maybe, you know, like God, it's the work of God, right? But if you're talking about like regular people, it took a lot, a lot, a lot of people to get the gospel to us today. There were people who took it all the different countries, cities around the world, right? There's people who faithfully copied biblical text again, and their whole job was just like, hey, this says that, and you copy it again and again and again. Before, we got the printing press, right? There are missionaries that gave their lives uh, for the gospel to go into harsh areas uh, in, um, in our world, right? And then there are like parents, moms and dads that shared the gospel to their children or friends who've shared it um, to other friends and somehow it's gotten here today. So today I want to peel back the layers and go past the glitz and the glory of these big, big positions and talk about regular, ordinary people, which we all are. The, um, the Bible does that actually. Uh, all through the Bible, you hear mentions, even in the New Testament, you see all these names. They only mentions once or twice. They're, they're, you know, oh, I was traveling with so-and-so. So-and-so greets you. Hey, we're there. Because Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters of the New Testament, he's very conscious that he's, I know he's like Paul. He's Apostle Paul, right? But he's very conscious that in, in what he does, many people were involved and helping him along the way. So he names them. You see bits of um, mentions of them, right? And so today we're going to be looking at Aquila and Priscilla um, and, and their lives. Uh, and so I want to shine a light on some of these people that are in the Bible, but they're not like the super, superheroes because um, they have a significant contribution. So I'll read a lot of text. Yeah, let's, let's go. Okay, so in, it's in Acts 18, 1-4, where we first hear about them. This is their introduction, right? After this, Paul left Athens, right? So he's on his missionary journeys. He left Athens, um, and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because, you know, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, basically kicked them out of Rome, okay, and he went to see them, Paul went to see them because he was of the same trade, so Paul was a tent maker, he made tents, and so he stayed, he went to see them because they're also in the same industry, right, um, and uh, he was of the same trade, and he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So you imagine, he's come along, he's staying with Aquila and Priscilla, right? But not only that, he's sharing their workshop. He's like, okay, you know, can I, can I do my trade and borrow some of your tools and equipment and do my thing too? Because I need to. Um, actually, he was a... Uh, he was a uh, missionary, but he was also working. So he had to support himself as well. So he's like, hey, can I use your place? Can I, borrow your, can I borrow your Zoom account and your laptop and your three monitors or whatever it is, right? And then he sits down and he does work during the week so that at the weekend, he can go to the synagogue and preach the gospel and do things for the kingdom of God. So that's how we meet them. They're like just... Just mention, just like, a, hey, here's a husband and wife, and they've let me stay 
at their place. Then, the next time you hear about them, it's in the context of this person called Apollos. Apollos actually ends up being pretty famous. Apollos gets mentioned many times in the New Testament. Uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about him. But, but before he becomes famous, which is everybody before they're famous, he was unknown, right? He was just, you know, he's like Justin Bieber playing on the street on YouTube or whatever it is. Really good at what he does, but nobody really knows him yet. He's just doing his craft right, which is preaching and, and sharing. He's doing his craft, but in obscurity. And this is where we come across Apollos, which is quite, quite cool, I thought. Okay, so this is a little bit later in Acts 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. So imagine you have a house guest. You're like, okay, you can stay with me. You can use all my equipment for your tent-making business. And then that house guest says, Thanks. I'm going to stay a few days later. I'm going to stay a bit longer. This is so good. So he stays many days, many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And then, as he set sail for Syria, he also takes, can you imagine, Priscilla and Aquila with him. So now they're like so pally. They're like, hey, let's go with Paul on this. Um, at Century, he had cut his hair, okay, great, he was under a vow, and he came to Ephesus, and then Paul left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus. But he himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews, and when he asked them to stay longer, for a longer period, he declined. So that Paul's like, no, 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 I'm not going to stay at Ephesus, right, I got things to do, and he leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. But on taking leave of them, he says to them, so this is Paul's way of like, you know, encouraging them or whatever. He says, I will return to you if God wills. Which is basically saying nothing. <laughs> like, if you see me, you see me. If you don't see me, I guess God didn't want me to see you. And he sails off from Ephesus, right? And he lands in Caesarea. He goes up, greeted the church. He went down to Antioch. And after there, he departs. He goes from one place to another, Galatia, Phaegria, strengthening all the... So Paul's got things to do. He's going places. Now, so now we're in Ephesus. Priscilla, Aquila are there. And now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria. Alexandria, where the, the famous library of Alexandria is, right? Alexandria, like, really clever place. Yeah, you know, these guys probably read two books a day themselves, right? And then, okay, great. And then they, they come, this guy, he comes to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man. He's already good at his craft, and he's competent in the scriptures. Now, when the Bible says the scriptures here, because it's written in the actual scriptures itself, he's actually, it's actually talking about the Old Testament, right? Because um, this is the book of Acts, right? So it's talking about um, the Old Testament. So he's, he's competent in the Old Testament. And he has been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, this guy, Apollos, spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus because the Old Testament 
pointed to Jesus. You could read the Old Testament and still say Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all these things to come. Although, oh, he only knew, he knew only the baptism of John. But, doesn't matter. I only know the baptism of John. It's okay. I'm really good at what I do, and I can, uh, I'm very persuasive, so let's go. Right? I know my scriptures really well anyway. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Then you get this guy meets then when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. So they're there. They're listening to him. They've heard Apollos speak. They took him aside. They said, hey, 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 hey. You, you, you're, you're pretty good. But they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they're like, hey, you're pretty good, but uh, maybe I can teach you a couple of things. And you're like, you've missed a couple of points here and there. And then when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote disciples to him. And then, and then when he arrived, he agreed. So now, now there's just this brief mention of Priscilla and Aquila. And then Apollos goes off and does various things. That's all. That, literally, that's all there is um, that is said about them. This, this, there's this couple, they work the same job as Paul, as tent makers, they provide a house for him to stay, he stays longer than expected, he leaves, uh, you know, he leaves them, right? Uh, Paul basically doesn't promise anything to them at all, he says maybe I'll come back, maybe I won't, right? And then they are in Ephesus, they, the story could have ended there, but no, 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 they're still serving the Lord, they're still doing things, and they come across somebody called Apollos, Right, and then they speak into Apollos' life. They speak into Apollos' life. <clears throat> what would you do if you were Aquila and Priscilla? Right? You you've shown Paul hospitality, you've helped him out with the tent making business, you're traveling with him, right? And then you bump into somebody who is uh, uh, speaking. Would you go, ah, oh, you know what? I've done my bit already. I've already helped out enough in the gospel and the kingdom. Um, this guy anyway, he's pretty good. I don't need to do much. Would you just leave things alone? Well, Aquila and Priscilla didn't leave things alone because when they met Apollos in Ephesus, um, right, they met this eloquent man, competent in scriptures, who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. They, it rubbed them the wrong way that this guy who had so much potential, so much possibility for the kingdom of God, that this guy did only knew John's baptism. It, it kind of triggered something in them, so much so that they pulled this guy aside and said, hey, hey, can I help you? And we don't know what was said. We don't know how they did it, but we saw the fruit of it. That means that the way they did it was done in a way that Apollos would receive it. Apollos would go, oh, who do you think you are talking to me? Hey, what, what have you got, to, right? We know however they ended up doing it, they, in their faith, the way of them living out their faith, it produced the result that Apollos received whatever it is, whatever insight 
that they had to give, and it was improved um, for them, right? Um, Acts 19, 1 to 7, actually gives you a hint of what they might have actually corrected Apollos on. I don't know if you know that. So you read a 19, it goes, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he's gone to another place, right? Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus and he found some disciples and he said to them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you then baptized? And then they said, into John's baptism, right? This is literally the chapter after it says that Apollos only knows up to John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, which is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying and there was about like 12 of them all in all. I think if you have to guess what it was that Aquila and Priscilla were trying to um, help Apollos with was here's this guy, he's known up to the baptism of John, John's baptism, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet, but he's eloquent, he's really good, right? Um, and he's like, yeah, you got to repent. You got to point to Jesus. It's all really good things because John was like, uh, I must reduce. Jesus must increase. So all really good things. But they took the extra step of encouraging Apollos to step more into the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit maybe, they, or to be more accurate in how he presented the full gospel <laughs> that was yet to come out in such a way that he began um, so he spoke boldly in such a way that um, uh, that it was more accurate that means what um, yeah what Apollos was then would then say would improve in its accuracy so I think Apollos eventually gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. He actually goes on to do some amazing things. He's actually mentioned in many other New Testament books. He's actually so impactful that Paul himself compares Apollos in the same sentence as Paul. When he's like uh, talking to um, the church, he goes, why are some of you saying, I follow Paul, and others of you saying, I follow Apollos. I'm like, whoa, this guy's like pretty good. You know, you're like you, you made it up there when, you know, Paul mentions you in the same sentence. And then he goes, I planted, Paul, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know, so clearly Apollos would become a very significant person impacting the gospel um, going out to the Gentiles. Some theologians even think that Apollos might have written the book of Hebrews, which is an unknown author. We know it's not Paul. We don't actually know who it is. But um, if theologians were to take a guess, 
one of the names that comes up is Apollos because of the style of writing and a few other um, artifacts that are in the book of Hebrews, right? But we can leave that debate for another day. The short version of it is Apollos ends up being very influential for the gospel. So if we rewind back to his origin story, if we rewind back to the beginning, before he was famous, before he became the Apollos that was mentioned with Paul, before he became the guy that was maybe writing the book of Hebrews, he's okay, but he hasn't really refined what he's doing. And this couple, unknown couple, they probably only get a few sentences written about them in the whole New Testament. They never do anything really significant at all, right? They like, didn't raise anybody from the dead. They haven't like, you know, they've not done these massive miracles that are out there. They, all they did was look after Paul, who turns out to be so significant in reaching the world and the Gentiles for, for God and, and they provide hospitality and they coach the person who's gonna be Apollos. He actually was Apollos, but you know, like, who's gonna be super influential. And that, that's it. That's their, that's their contribution. I think when you read their story and you look at their life, I can't help but think, my goodness, it's so important to just be faithful. These guys, they just used their faith, but they didn't let it just rest. They didn't just let it rest. They, they, they put it into practice just within the sphere of what they could do. They heard. They heard that a, a visiting speaker is coming. Oh, so happens to be in the same industry. You're an accountant, I'm an accountant, whatever, right? Tent maker, tent maker. And all they did was accept somebody who they knew was in the kingdom of God. They knew was doing the good work of God. And they wanted to play their part. Their faith was so real in their life. Their, their faith affected it so much that even their, um, their home was up for grabs as an offering to be able to impact the kingdom. You know, just be faithful. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 12 says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This, I, I love this verse. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's it. We steward our faith. We're stewards of our family. We're stewards of the resources that God has given us. And so our requirement is actually not to be the most amazing person in the world. Our, our requirement is not, oh man, I better get an A plus or, 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 or I'm, I'm useless. It's not that. Our requirement is that we be found faithful. That means that we can be dependent on, that we can be trusted in. Um, I like Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive and the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife, they were united to, uh, united in this, and they had this disposition. You know what? I'm just gonna do, I'm just gonna do what needs to be done. Paul needs a place to stay, and my goodness, this guy, <laughs> he's missing out on the Holy Spirit. So why don't we just talk to him a little bit about it? They, they were generous with their hospitality. They took what they had. Um, their tent making business, their house, maybe their knowledge of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever, whatever they had, they were hospitable with it. You know, Hebrews 13, 1 to 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitalities to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And I think this speaks to what Aquila and Priscilla did they actually ended up entertaining people who are much more significant, much more impactful than they actually ever realized, I, I think. Even if they thought that Paul was like super famous and really good, they could have no idea that in the year 2023, in a completely different country that they've never heard of, people are reading the words of Paul. I, I don't think that was in their... They could not have comprehended that their hosting of this guy would be mentioned in the holy scriptures that are then read by Catholics, Protestants, people all around the world are quoting scriptures with their name in it. I don't think, I don't think, they, could have, I don't think they could have comprehended it. But I also think it didn't matter to them. They didn't do this so that they could be famous. They didn't do it because of the hype or the promise or the emotion. They didn't do it. They did it because that's just what we do. That's just who they are. They're the kind of person who's like, my faith affects my life in such a way that these are the things I'm just going to do. I'm going to be counted in for the kingdom of God. You know, I think, I think discipleship was just a normal part of their faith. They're like, yeah, hospitality is a part of my faith, and discipleship is part of my faith. So if a new guy comes into our church and we're, we're doing stuff, right, uh, I'll happily disciple him. I'll, I'll happily coach somebody and improve their walk with God. Discipleship was a part of what they were doing. In fact, it, it comes so matter-of-factly in the Scripture, when it talks to them. Oh, Apollos is doing this, and then so they just pulled him aside and had a chat, and they were talking. Yeah, not in a condescending way. Not in a way of like, oh, you better listen to me, you know, right? However they did it, it was received well. Meaning that they were actually good at discipleship. You know, I, I, I always like encourage... Um, uh, one of the reasons why we have like our Sunday school ministry, our youth ministry have very young leaders. Like, I don't know if you know, like, there's literally, like, high schoolers that are watching some of your children. Why we do that is I actually think it's really good for young people, or actually all people of every generation, but let's just talk young people, to get practice in discipling or having responsibility for somebody else. It's a good um, faith discipline to have because the Great Commission is not just... Uh, go out into the world and get people to stand up for altar calls to accept Christ. It's go into the world and make disciples. 
So disciple making is part of the great commission that all of us have, even if you're 13 years old, even if you're 33 years old or 60 years old. Disciple making is just a regular part of your faith where you're actually mentoring somebody, you're making disciples somewhere else, right? And Aquila and Priscilla, they caught that. A regular part of their life was just speaking to other people's lives, helping them grow in maturity in the Lord. Or in this case, in the understanding of this person's actual gifting, which ended up being refined so much and did so well that he goes on to do great things for God. But, but I feel like it was just normal for them. Priscilla and Aquila were generous in their commitment to the faith. They took their faith seriously, despite not being ultra-famous. They took their faith seriously, and they had a kind of generosity in how they would view how their faith could be utilized. And so, in the last sort of like 15, 20 minutes, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be like generous with your faith. To have the kind of faith that is that helps other people, that, that goes out and makes a difference in the whole world, uh, that goes out beyond just your own home and your family. I know we've been talking in a wish conference a lot about your family and your life and right, but Aquila and Priscilla, their faith didn't just reside with them. Some part of their faith was so generous that it bubbled out and went to other people. You know, on Friday, at the kickoff of the Wish Conference, I spoke about being proactive and in being aware of the freedom that we have in situations to shift how we respond. I also alluded to the freedom that we have before the situation arises, right? So we are free to actually prepare a good environment. We're free to set a template for good relationships at home. We can do all these things. But today, I want to talk about something in that kind of same category. But I want to shift your, commit, your understanding. <coughs> I want to shift your understanding, if I could, around what it means to have a generous commitment to faith. Because, you see, we tend to think, I don't know how you think of generosity, but we tend to think of generosity as something linked with um, uh, on-the-spur moment decision that we make. So you're, you're, you and your friends, you're out for dinner, right? You're out for dinner, and then you're like, hey, maybe we should buy them dinner. Okay, yeah, 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 we'll take you out for dinner. We'll take you out for dinner. And then so you pay the bill for it. Or if somebody asks you to borrow something, you're like, oh, hey, can I, can I have this? And then you're like, you know what? I'm feeling generous today. Why don't you just have it? You don't need to borrow it. You don't need, you don't need to return it to me. Just have it. You don't return this book. I've read it already. You can have this book. Whatever, right? You're feeling generous. Or sometimes we link generosity to we're sitting in a meeting and then there's an appeal for funds somewhere and you're like, yes, today I'm going to be generous. And so you think, hey, am I or am I not a generous person? Well, I think I'm a generous person because lots of times I have done generous things. 
Right? You're like, I've done 10 generous things last year. I'm a generous person. So every time Pastor Chris asks for missions offering, yeah, that's where we give. That's it. Right? Or every time like somebody needs volunteers for kids' ministry, yes, I'm generous with my time. So every time there's a need for kids' volunteers, yes, uh, count me in. I'll help you out with this. And I'll help you out with that. So I used to think that a generous person was based on the number of times I'd be a generous person if I did a lot of generous things. Based on the number of times that I said yes to opportunities to be generous. But what I've discovered actually is by far and wide, by the largest margin you can imagine, the majority of generosity in our world today is actually not people who are deciding on the moment to be generous when the opportunity comes. That's not it. That's just the fringes. The vast majority of generosity, the vast majority of aid that is helped in the world, or even volunteers that uh, help out in church or do things, it's actually decided beforehand. Before the, oh, I'm short somebody to run this. I'm, it's, it's pre-committed. It's decided beforehand. That actually a generous person, if you reshape your thinking, a generous person is somebody who decides beforehand, my house is available. My house, I, don't, I don't know who's going to stay in it. I don't know who's coming. Well, my house is available. And then when an opportunity comes, they're like, yeah, can you host this person? Of course I can. We already decided beforehand. We're husband and wife. We don't, we're already 90, 80 to 90% of global generosity happens in a pre-committed kind of of way. These are people who have decided beforehand that this is the kind of person that I am going to be. I'm the kind of person who will disciple others. I'm the kind of person who makes a difference in other people's lives. I'm the kind of person who helps other people out with hospitality. Whatever it is, they don't wait for the spur of the moment. You don't have to be cajoled to do it. You don't need the hype or the, you know, like Uncle Roland says, like the music, right? Wait for you to fall asleep and then you walk out halfway, you know, and then you volunteered for kids' ministry suddenly, right? No, a large portion, even at FGA, a bunch of the people who are serving on stage, are serving kids' ministry, the year before, they said, hey, just count me in. I'm in. They've pre-decided, they've pre committed. And so I actually think that Aquila and Priscilla, they already were the kind of people, just by their conduct, they were the kind of people who would host guests. So when Paul comes along, they're fine with it. They were the kind of people who were already discipling. So then when they had to disciple Apollos and they had to speak in the Apollos, it's just a they didn't just do it, oh, I think you're going to be famous. I think you're going to be Apollo, so I'll make an exception for you and we'll be generous this one time. This one time we'll be generous and then we're going we're gonna to help you with your ministry. That's not how it goes. 
for the majority of people, if you are genuinely generous, what you do is you decide beforehand that you will be generous. Faith, actually, I don't know if you've thought a lot about it, I've been thinking a lot about faith. But faith is something that is decided beforehand. That's why they say step of faith. Faith is something, if you're going to be generous with your faith, you've got to kind of make a beforehand decision. You know, like you think of the, um, you think of the uh, disciples, right? Like Jesus asked them to, to, to follow me. He didn't explain everything that was going to happen, right? He didn't say, oh, and the, yeah, this is going to happen in your life, and then you're going to die upside down on a cross or whatever it is. Nothing. They, um, they had to take a step of faith and pre-decide, pre-commit, decide beforehand that they were going to follow Jesus. They knew who they were following. Sure, they didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know where it would take them, but they knew who they were following. And then they decided beforehand to do whatever it takes to live out their faith with Jesus. Faith that is decided beforehand or pre-committed is actually the most effective, powerful kind of faith. It allows for the infrastructure of the kingdom of God to flourish. It allows you to be counted among the faithful who can be called on to work in the kingdom of God. So if I could just be really practical, right? So let's say we have a visiting guest speaker. I'll tell you now, if we have a visiting guest speaker, who do we ask to house him? I already know the people who we would call. You know why? Because I know that they are ready, they're prepared, they're pre-committed, they're going to be the kind of people who would take a visiting guest speaker in. So that's why it's usually so, because, and so I can then think, oh great, I can invite the speaker in. I know, because I know we have people in church already willing and able. Maybe they can't do it this time because something came up, but I know they're willing. So then there'll be another person. Then there'll be another person, right? But it affects the kingdom of God. Um, I don't need to persuade that person. Oh, please, can you, can you host this guest? Can you? Because for the people that we approach to host, they've already pre-decided. They already have said, look, my house is an available house. It means then that we can account for things. The infrastructure of the kingdom can depend on them to pull it off. Uh, you know, I want to talk about, I, I messaged Bill this, this, uh, this morning. I want to talk a little bit about Bill Tan. I don't know if you guys know Bill Tan, who's sitting just over there. Um, Bill has been such a faithful member at FJ. And when I think of people who just do things not for the glory of the thing itself, but just as a generous, faithful person who pre-commits, who decides beforehand, hey, I said I'm going to do this, so I'm just going to do it. I, I think of Bill. There's many other people. There's Uncle Lawrence sitting next to him, right? But for some reason, this morning, I thought of you, Bill. 
he's actually my parents' friend, <laughs> right? I mean, like, he, he came to church, and when Bill first came to church, I don't think I even talked to him. He came and talked to Uncle Roland, my mom, right? <clears throat> but he, he took over as treasurer of FGA after my mom. And then when I became executive pastor, I had to work with Bill. And then when I became senior pastor, I had to work with Bill as the treasurer of FGA. In fact, we didn't even have an accountant back then, right? Now we have, we've grown so complicated that we've hired an accounting firm. But back then, Bill was our accountant. He pre-committed, decided beforehand that he would volunteer his time regularly to come in and do our accounts. This would mean that Bill, you remember this, Bill, we were sitting down many times in that little office in level one, right? And we would tirelessly go through account, line after line, solving issues where people coded their expense wrong, right? Um, uh, claims done wrongly and then charged to worship ministry and then worship ministry, why are you charging me for these things? And we have to like fix it in the accounts. He'd slog through laborious reconciliations, you know, after a camp and then things don't balance and you lost $200 somewhere and then, right, and then these suspense accounts. Do you remember suspense accounts where people just like put things in there and you don't know what it is so you're emailing people. Do you know what was so generous? about what Bill had did for many, many years faithfully in our church. He was a tent maker like Aquila and Priscilla, but he used his trade for the kingdom. I think it was just simple faithfulness. But what was generous about it was that he pre-decided that he was going to do this. And so every year, for years, he gave up time to come into the office to do our reconciliations, to do our accounts. I mean, I could pretty much uh, point to all of, our, all of our treasurers, actually, Raymond over there, right? We have had so many people pre-commit and say, this is what I'm going to do. And so if on a scale of people who pre-commit, the number of people who pre-commit and the number of hours that they put in and things that they do, if you think of the people who pre-commit, versus the people who decide in the moment, Hey, this is a really touching message. I think right now I'm going to help out tomorrow with the kids or the food. As a percentage, if you're talking about kingdom infrastructure, the reality is 90% are the people who pre-commit. And then only 5, 5 10% is the people who decide week on week day by day, moment by moment. Am I going to serve? Am I going to help? Am I going to do this? Am I not? That, it might sound like very generous. If you're like, oh, am I going to do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. Ah, I'm being so generous today. Well, it might feel generous, but in reality, the really generous people are the ones who day in, day out, faithfully give of their time and their resources into the kingdom of God, and they are ready like Aquila and Priscilla, ready for when the moment comes. They've, they've got it together. They've decided who they're going to be. Uh, I want to call it faithful. Uh, okay, it is stuck. Can you guys flip to the next one for me? Um, the thing's crashed. Um, I'm going to call it faithful pre-commitment. No, before that. 
That's a faithful pre-commitment. I think it, it's the thing that is going to make a, the biggest difference in, uh, in our kingdom work. Faithful pre-commitment. Because it, it supports the infrastructure of the kingdom of God. You know, I'm doing a medical mission next week. So after finishing this conference, uh, you're not going to see me actually for two Sundays, which is why I'm preaching to supposedly today, right? Um, so I'm off doing a medical mission next week. How did I know that we can do a medical mission this year? Because when we decided to do the medical mission, we didn't have anybody signed up to do the medical mission trip. How do I know? You know what? You know how I know? We have one doctor. We have one doctor who is already pre-decided 10 years ago that he's going to come on all our medical mission trips. And before we even figured out whether or not the mission trip was a goal, whether we're going to do this, yes or no, he's already messaged me, when are you coming, when are you going to do the mission trip? Let me know because I've got to take them leave. I've got to do this thing. And so because he has already pre-committed, he knows at, at the very least, there'll be one doctor. Because I know, because if there's no doctors, I can't run a medical mission. <laughs> I can't run a medical mission trip, right? <laughs> like quack doctor, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but because we have a pre-committed person going to the medical mission trip, I was able to create this year's medical mission trip. We have now 14 people going, three doctors. We got dentists. We got right. How? Can you see how one person's faithful pre-commitment provides the infrastructure for the kingdom work to happen? You know, I know post-COVID, so look, I'm going to land this conversation. We're going to eat food pretty soon. Um, I know post-COVID, it is hard to commit to things. We, we, we've all seen it. We need to take a little bit more time to be flexible. We're, we're, we're thinking, oh, should I get involved in this? Should I get involved in that, right? Um, I want to, if I could, just emphasize that actually, if you could shift your mindset from being the person who goes, I'm going to wait for somebody to ask me. I'm going to wait for this golden opportunity to come along when Paul visits our church. Any other guest speaker, don't worry about it. But Paul, when Paul comes, hey, come, come give me a call, right? I want you to shift the mindset away from, man, that service better be good and that music better be amazing and the speaker better have nailed the sermon before I'm going to get up here and do something for the kingdom of God. Like that might seem very generous to you, but I, I tell you it is not. The real generous thing, the real powerful thing, if you want to get your faith into the real world, is that you actually decide, hey, uh, oh, next slide, this is crashed. You decide, what kind of person is my faith going to make me? What kind of person am I going to be? The most powerful givers in the kingdom of God. And I'm not just talking money, by the way. Although, let me just say, for FGA, since I'm an accountant, and I'm comfortable talking about money, if I, if I can just say it, most of FGA's finances come from faithful, pre-committed people. Most of it. That's why, on an average Sunday, we literally go, uh, let's pray for the tithes and offerings. Announcement video. 
and you don't hear a 15-minute message about why you need to do tithes and offerings. And go, oh, please give. And the music's coming. Give money to the church. Give money. Right? You, you don't see us at FGA do that a lot. You know why we don't have to do it a lot? Because FGA already has the kind of people who faithfully pre-commit finances. And so then we can budget for the next year and we can plan things and it just goes. The kingdom work just goes. That's generous. That's great. But the most effective ministry leaders are the ones who have pre-decided that they're going to open their home and be a home group leader for that year. They decided already. They don't have to take it week by, oh, you know, I'm going to be a home group leader. I play it one week at a time. And then maybe next week I'll be sick of my home group. So I'll tell Uncle YC, I don't want to be a home group leader. That's not great for the kingdom. Faithful pre-commitment allows for the good work of the kingdom of God to go forth. And if we want our faith to connect with our real world, we will think carefully about the kind of person we want to be. Now, we just did this whole family workshop in which, right? So I want to say a bunch of disclaimers. Yes, you have to have healthy boundaries. We're not asking you to I'm not saying pre-commit for all kinds of ridiculous things and then work is then your marriage is over, your children leave the faith and whatever it is. No, no, no. Have healthy boundaries, right? Uh, figure out what is wisdom for your stage in life, right? I, but I've seen Auntie Annie and Uncle YC with young kids still faithfully pre-commit to doing things even in their busiest stage of life because it's possible I think what you need to do if you're thinking very seriously about your faith is you go, this is the kind of person that God compels me to be. And so I will have a component in my life that is always making disciples of somebody else. I'm always trying to help somebody grow their faith. I'm always being hospitable. I'm always caring for somebody else. I'm always showing love. And maybe in different times of your life, you'll have more capacity than others. It's fine. But the answer should never be zero. I'm way too busy. If you're too busy in this stage of life, I guarantee you, you'll be busy. You'll be too busy in the next phase of life. So I guess um, tonight I just want to end with a challenge. Uh, over this weekend at the WISH conference, you've heard many, many things. Um, the challenge for us as we leave is to think about, pre-commit, pre-decide, be proactive about it, whatever. But have some thought to what kind of person you want to be. What kind, how does your faith shape who you're going to be? Decide, are you going to be the kind of person that serves regularly, uh, that helps the poor, that makes a difference in the community, that disciples somebody who's younger than you? Are you going to be the kind of person that contributes into the society that you're in? Are you going to be a person who makes time for the things of God? Are you going to partner in with the kingdom of God? These types of things. You don't need to make that decision on the spur of the moment. You and your husband and wife, you as a young adult, you can make that decision now and figure out what can I faithfully, within reason, within balance. I'm not talking about 
you know, hey, go crazy on it. I'm saying, allow God and your faith to shape the priorities of your real world. And then figure out how you can pre-commit and build it in, almost like blocking out something in your calendar. So that because it's important, it's always there. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to be. I'm going to be a person that sows. That's why I like percentages, actually. I like percentages of time. I like percentages of resource. I like it. Because as I grow older, um, God gives me more. And so then with a percentage, I feel like I can then sow back more. So uh, let me pray for us. I'm going to end the service. Um, If you will just close your eyes, I'll I'll just pray for us um, tonight. Because my hope is that you will actually not let the busyness of life, the immediate urgent demands of things dictate how generous you're going to be. But that you're going to fall into the major category of 80 to 90% of the the people who are powering the kingdom of God. And go, I'm going to make a decision for the kind of person God wants me to be in my real life. Like Aquila and Priscilla, who I'm pretty certain already decided that that was the kind of people they were going to be. Father, I pray for each person here right now, Lord. Us as a church, FGA as a church, help us to pre-decide to be a church that gives you our very best. Lord, I pray that our, our Sundays uh, are genuine, that, that we come fully ready to hear from you. I pray, Lord God, that you help our worship to be pre-committed, to be the very best that we can offer you. I pray, Lord God, that you help us to make pre-commitments into how we're going to affect our very real lives with the faith that we have so that our faith can be ready for this real world. I pray for each person, each family represented here. Um, help us to change our lives and take back the things that we've learned this conference. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we did it. Ah. All right, my voice is just barely hanging on.